Well, good morning. My name is Mike, or Pastor Mike, and it's a pleasure to be worshiping with you and to have the honor of adding my voice to the word that's already been spoken and taught this morning. So what I invite you to do is uh, grab a phone or grab your Bible and open up to the book of Hebrews. In particular, we're going to be looking at Hebrews 4, and what we're looking at today is another installation in the series called uh, Before Bethlehem. And what we're doing is we're exploring the idea that Jesus was not only active in the baby Jesus, the one that was born in a manger like the one you see up on stage there, but that Jesus was actually active before that event. And as has been said, uh, Jesus was active in a number of different ways, a number of different what are called theophanies or the way that God physically appears to people. And in particular, we're going to be studying today um, a guy named Melchizedek, or Melchizedek was what some of the uh, original language teachers might call him. Uh, he was a priest who was mysterious and came before the history of priests that were over Israel's religion. This is a guy who came and led uh, Abram or Abraham before the system of priests was created. And we're going to talk about that as we dive in here in just a moment. What I'd invite you to do is pray with me as we jump in, and we'll get connected with the word here. Would you pray with me? Uh, dear Jesus, thank you so much for showing up. Thank you for being here at Christmas time in a form that we can understand. A little baby who coos and makes noise and laughs and smiles and eats and sleeps. You are a God who doesn't stand far off from us, but who comes close. You are a God who comes near. And as you approach us, you approach us with great love. And so we thank you, Christ, for coming in a form that we can understand. And today, as we take a, a little bit of a look into the life of Abram and the life of his priest, Melchizedek, or Melchizedek, we ask that you come and speak. And we ask that you would edify us and grow us. And more than anything, here at this Christmas season, we ask God that you would warm our hearts toward you. No matter where we stand before you today, we know where you stand, and that is in a place of love, a place of passion, a place of desire for each one of us, and that you create a way for there to be nothing between us at this Christmas time. And so God, come and speak, and we ask this in your holy name. Together we say, amen and amen. Well, we've been talking about the Old Testament. We've been talking about how Jesus has shown up in various forms in the Old Testament. And today we're not necessarily going to make the case that this priest Melchizedek or Melchizedek was Jesus. Today we're taking a break from the idea that Jesus showed up as somebody else. We don't necessarily believe that Melchizedek was Jesus or vice versa. We believe that Melchizedek was a type of Jesus. And here's what I mean by that. Could I just grab a volunteer from the congregation this morning? And I'd actually prefer a volunteer that is short. Do we have any short volunteers in the congregation today? Uh, how about Charlotte? Charlotte, why don't you come up and join me? And I'd ask you to come behind the altar table. And you can leave your boots off if you want, sweetheart. We're comfortable like that here. Fat grown-ups, if you want to take your shoes off. <laughs> Rock and roll, man. Okay, come here, Charlotte. Uh, come and say hi to everybody. Say hi. Hi. This is Charlotte. She's awesome. Charlotte, can you come over here and just make a shadow animal on the screen? See, see if you can. Yeah, you kind of have to stand a little bit to the side and 
see if you can make a good shadow animal. Uh, if you have trouble getting started, let me see if I can help you here. See if you can make that shadow animal. <laughs> see if that one works for you. That might be kind of difficult to make, but yeah. Good job. So what are, you, what are you making there, Charlotte, beside that random bear that I just chose to put up on the screen this morning? Oh, that's like, like a puppy dog, right? Can you make him bark? Yeah. Oh, it's a bird. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I'm tracking with you. Pastor Mike's a little sleepy. That's a great bird. Oh, and here comes Brennan. Oh, come on. Uh, Brennan's a Packers fan, by the way. So uh, let's give Brennan a round of applause just for having the gumption to do that. And then thank you, Charlotte, for coming up as well. Let's give Charlotte a round of applause as well. Thank you, sweetheart. Good job. Nice. Nice work. Well, and what we're looking at with Melchizedek, what we're looking at with him is he's a type of Jesus, which means he's kind of like the hands that make a shadow animal. If the shadow animal were Jesus, then Melchizedek is kind of a shadow of Jesus. He's kind of like Charlotte's hands up there, or in this case, Brennan's hands, making whatever that nebulous Packer reference was up on the screen, right? But, but what we're looking at is in Melchizedek or Melchizedek, what we're looking at is a type of Christ, somebody who would kind of have represented the idea of Jesus. And here's what we mean by that. We know that Melchizedek was not one of the Hebrew priests. He was not a Catholic priest. He was not an Israelite priest. He was not a Hebrew priest. The Bible calls him a priest that had his own order. And what that means is, is he had a kind of a class by himself. Melchizedek was a different kind of priest that was not beholden to a system of priests. And we find that as Abram comes into the picture, and this is maybe what Abram would have looked like. If you're listening by podcast, there's a picture of what we think Abram might have looked like beside Melchizedek. Abram was commanded by God to leave the place where he was and go into the what? The promised land, also called Canaan. And so Abram was supposed to go to the promised land and he was supposed to have military favor there so that his people that would be born someday would be able to uh, reside there and have a place to live there. You see, at the time of Abram, there were no Israelites yet. The way this worked was Abram went on faith to the promised land, to Canaan. And as he went there, uh, he had a nephew named Lot. You guys may remember the story of Lot. If you don't, uh, uh, the, the nephew Lot uh, got to be contentious with his uncle Abram and decided to split off as they were headed toward the promised land. And as he was doing that, Lot got captured by an enemy king, by a pagan king. And so Abram actually gathered up some troops and went to conquer the kings that had captured his nephew Lot. And this was just with a few hundred men. So it was kind of a miraculous delivery of, of God into the hands of Abram. And when that happened, when Abram conquered those kings that had gathered together to fight against him toward the promised land, God gave Abram victory and then sent this Melchizedek guy. And the Bible says that this Melchizedek guy met him in the Valley of the Kings, and this was in the area of Jerusalem, what would soon become the center of the Israelite faith and where the temple was placed and all that good stuff. And Melchizedek actually blessed Abram, gave him a blessing, and presented him with bread and wine. 
Now of all the stuff that Melchizedek could have given to Abram as a snack, he chose bread and wine and he chose to bless Abram. Now there was another king, the king of Sodom. Now, you guys may have heard of a little town called Sodom and you may know what happened to Sodom. We won't go into that. But the king of Sodom showed up and actually started to try to bargain with Abram. And he said, you keep some of this stuff and I'll take some of this stuff. What do you think about that? And Abram basically said, no, everything that comes as a spoil of war, I have dedicated to my God. And he set a boundary line with the king of Sodom. So when Abram's uh, priest, Melchizedek, shows up, Melchizedek didn't ask for anything. He showed up and he gave. He gave a blessing and he gave bread and wine. And what's interesting about uh, priests and how the priesthood works is Abraham, who before he became Abraham was simply called Abram. And if you add a ha to Abram, he becomes Abraham, which that's kind of cool because what happened when the angel told Abram and Sarai that they were going to have a child in their 90s? What did they do? They laughed. And so if you put a ha in Abram, it becomes Abraham. Kind of makes sense in a weird, twisted sort of way. Those of you that like Bible humor are laughing. Those that are not are staring off in his space. It's awesome. So anyway, what Abram did is he had a son named who? Isaac. And then Isaac had a child named Jacob. And Jacob got a name change into who? Israel. And then Israel had a whole mess of kids. He had a house full of kids. One of those kids was Levi. And Levi, at some point, with all of the generations that came after him, were going to become the priests of Israel. So there was a priestly class in Israel who started with the son of Israel named Levi. But there was a whole nother son in the picture named Judah. And Judah was the one through whom the physical person Jesus came to be. So what I want to stress to you this morning in this distinction is the idea that Jesus was not born in the priestly class. He was not of the tribe of Levi. He was from a separate tribe, the tribe of Judah. Just like Melchizedek was not a part of the history of Levi. Melchizedek was a priest outside of the priestly class. So if you look at the organized religions around us today, both Melchizedek and Yeshua, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, they exist outside of the human priestly class. So for example, if you grew up Catholic, Jesus would not have been a member of the priestly order of the Catholic Church. If you grew up Protestant, Jesus would not have gone to one of our Protestant seminaries like I did. If you grew up and became a rabbi in the rabbinic orders around town here, Jesus would not have been one of those. Jesus was a priest who existed outside of human class systems. As well, Melchizedek existed outside of, of priestly class systems that had not been developed yet. Now, why do we care about this and why does this matter? It matters for one reason only. Because Jesus stands apart from human systems and things that humans make and things that humans put together so that he can be holy and perfect and set apart and come into those human systems and speak to people from outside of them. Now, why does that matter? 
Why does that matter to us today? Mainly because there were two things that Melchizedek was. Melchizedek was a king. He was the king of Salem, which would have become Jerusalem. And he was also a priest of God Most High. Jesus, we know, is king of kings and lord of lords. And the Bible calls Jesus high priest, which means Jesus is king and priest over who? All the kings and presidents and rulers of the earth. And he's also priest over who? All the priests of the earth. He is both king and priest over all the priests and kings of the earth. He stands apart both in genealogy, in linear genealogy, and in practice, and in purpose. That's what we're looking at today as we kind of study this idea of Melchizedek. Here's some scriptures in Hebrews chapter 4 that we kind of touched on a little bit earlier. Here's what the Bible says about this Jesus. It says, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Now, that's a great point to make, and we'll add to it this. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not what? Yet he did not sin. Now, what is sin? Let's define sin clearly. Sin is anything that works against the command of God or the character of God. Sin is anything that works against the command of God or the character of God. And what we have is a God who is both our king and our high priest who came to earth in human form so that he could experience the same weaknesses that you and I do. Now, the babies in the congregation here, the babies who are here this morning have to be held by their parents. They have to be fed by their parents, burped by their parents, diapers changed by their parents, loved by their parents, and, and, and held and rocked by their parents so they can sleep. Babies are creatures of great need, are they not? And in fact, the Bible says that when we come into the faith, we're like spiritual babies. We start with very simple food like spiritual milk. And then as we stay in the faith, we grow and we're able to take on deeper spiritual truths. So that's the idea behind Explore God coming up in January. The idea that we don't bludgeon people with the deepest of God's truths from the beginning and expect them to understand them or accept them. We simply show them God's love. We lay God's love before them in, in the form of hospitality. And we give them the opportunity to taste and see that the Lord is good. And then as they are attracted to God and want more, we are there. And we give them guidance and help and love and instruction. The same is true for Jesus and how he works. He understands your weaknesses. He understands your failings. He understands your sin and your darkest days. He understands what it means, though the Bible says he did not sin himself. He knows what it means to be 100% human. And then the best news of all comes on the tail end of that idea as the king of righteousness, as one who did not sin, never even thought a sinful thought, never did a sinful thing or said a sinful thing. The idea comes this, that we boldly come to the throne of our gracious God because of Jesus, and there we will receive his what? Mercy. There we receive his mercy. And that mercy is where we find grace to help us in the times that we need him most.
Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you feel like you can stand before God and speak to him and have his full attention and receive every 100% of his love and favor? Do you believe God is approachable by you and that if you went up to God today, he would look on you and smile? If you don't believe that, that's okay. Because the Bible says that God looks on you and smiles anyway. Because of Jesus, he looks on you and smiles without you even taking action, without you even stepping forth into belief, without you being baptized yet or taking Sunday school classes, without you going through catechism training or performing on a spiritual level. God looks at you with 100% favor and smiles and looks at you with love and says, I want that and that, and that, and that, and that. I want every single one of them. And the wanting of them comes through one and one alone. And his name is what? Jesus, the king of righteousness. One who rules over us in love as the righteous one. You see, God only needed one person to be clean and righteous. And that's his son, Jesus. And Jesus killed it. He knocked it out of the park. He perfectly performed. As the Bible says, he knew our weaknesses, but was without what? He was without sin. So like Melchizedek, Jesus is the king of righteousness and knows no sin. And in fact, the way he came to demonstrate what that means is in the most vulnerable human form ever. There's nothing more vulnerable than a baby. Even a full-grown person who's lost the ability to move and act and think is still not as vulnerable as a baby. Why? Because in babies come potential, future, and growth. And they start that journey in complete and utter need. And friends, that is what you and I are like in the eyes of God. When God sees a seed of faith in us, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit and he grows that faith, he grows that trust that we place in him and he sees growth. He sees you and me grow. We pattern after Jesus. So the Bible says this in Isaiah nine, it says, for a child is born to us, a son is given, and not only an innocent little vulnerable baby, but the government will rest on his shoulders, meaning that he will continue to be king of kings and Lord of lords. He will be called wonderful counselor, the Bible says. Somebody who comes and counsels you in the middle of the night when nobody else is around, when you need somebody and there's nobody there, Christ is there. He is wonderful counselor, which means he never fails. And then the Bible says that he is mighty God and everlasting father, meaning even death can't hold Jesus down. He has conquered death and he has set death aside for you and me now and forever. And that's what makes him the prince of peace. Jesus as the Prince of Peace simply means that there is peace between you and God, not because of how you have performed, but because how who has performed, how Jesus has performed. 
And that's why he is the Prince of Peace. There's peace between you and God, and there can be peace between you and other people because of that. It's the same kind of peace that led Jesus to grow up and become the great high priest that he was, to give the same gift as Melchizedek gave when he gave his body and his blood in bread and wine at the Last Supper before he would go to the cross and conquer death for us now and forever. The same gifts were given, and yet Jesus gave them in the form of his body and his blood. He didn't hold anything back Think about what it would be like to give your body and your blood to something. If you have small children in the house, you know exactly what that feels like, don't you? But Jesus went there for all of humanity, and he didn't hold back. Not one drop of blood, not one ounce of flesh did he hold back. And in fact, the Bible says because of the power of God in him, he rose from the grave and he began what is for us a new life, an abundant life, a life that is full, purposeful, meaningful, has power and God's presence in a daily form with us so that we're never alone and so that we're never feeling meaningless or wandering aimlessly through life. God has given us a leader, a commander, a warrior, a savior, a child, a king. The one who comes and saves and is all those things. You know, I love what the scripture says later in Hebrews. Take a look at this scripture. It says, there were many priests under the old system, the Levite system, the Levitical system, right? There were many priests under the old system for death prevented them from remaining in office. They simply grew old and died. And so their priesthood ended when their lives ended. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts how long? The same, forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God, how? Not through themselves, but through him. He is able. And that saving doesn't just happen one time. That saving happens every single day day in and day out as we walk. The Bible says in verse 25, Hebrews 7, therefore he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to do what? To intercede with God on their behalf. This is why the old creed talks about Jesus ascending into heaven and sitting down at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Do you know the right hand of a king means that someone has entrusted someone else to be on the same level they are as a king. When a king places someone at their right hand back in the old days, what that meant was the same power of the king was shared with that person who sat on the king's right. Jesus has the power of God because Jesus is the power of God. Jesus is God. He is king of kings and Lord of lords and there is nothing that can keep him down. And there is nothing that can keep him down in your life. And therefore, there is nothing that can keep you down. Here's what that looks like, the beauty of this. First Peter 2, uh, Peter says this. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Now, why would he use the words royal priesthood? He could have just said priesthood. He could have said that you and I are part of a priesthood, that we are set apart by God. 
to share the good news of Jesus as he has come into our lives. But he has called us a royal priesthood. Just like Jesus, we are in the royal family and priests. Just like Jesus, we are in a place of power. Not our power, but whose? God's power. Because of Jesus, we are a royal priesthood and we've been given the opportunity to share what it is we have that we've received for free with other people who also need to know about God's love. We are destined for this kind of life. This is what the abundant life Jesus talked about in John 10 means. You are a chosen people, Peter says, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may do what? Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into whose wonderful light? His, the light of his love. So at this Christmas time, when you're spending time with family and friends, when you're opening gifts and giving them, when you're being blessed and being a blessing, when you're enjoying food, and drink. How many of you guys went to the international potluck last night at the Arnold's house? I had the best tamales and Chinese fried rice and Swedish meatballs and food from all over the world and even had wassail. Have you guys ever gone a wassailing before? Last night I went a wassailing for the first time because the Arnold's served wassail. It was so awesome. It was awesome wassail, wasn't it, Clay and Linda? It was perfect. What I want you to remember is this. When you're in the company of people who love you and you love, that is just a taste. It is just a type. It is just a shadow of the love that is to come in God, of the love that you can expect, not only in the future when you die, but now in the present. That is the love that God gives as your king and as your priest. And with that love comes power, purpose, and meaning. If you're searching for who you are this Christmas time, take a nod from your God. Listen to who he says you are. And if you trust him in that, your life will become what it was always created and meant to be, a life of power, of royal priestly power. This is what the king of righteousness brings when he comes into lives like yours and mine every single day, Monday through Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, every hour. It's an old hymn that talks about needing God every hour. You know what? We can sing that hymn with confidence. We can say those words with meaning and purpose because God is there to meet those needs with power and priestly presence. That means nothing stands between you and God, my friend. There's no priest needed. There's no wall to climb. There's no performance to be had. There's no spiritual points to earn. There's no goal to reach because your king and your priest has done it. And he stands with his hands out inviting you to join him in that victory. For he is the endless, matchless, all-powerful king of righteousness. And we worship him this Christmas. 
together. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the joy you bring. Thank you that there is nothing separating me from God anymore because of Jesus. Thank you that there is no obstacle to overcome so that I can meet God face to face. Thank you for the joy that brings. Thank you for the peace it brings. Thank you for the release it brings. The burden on my shoulders is gone because of Jesus. I am so thankful for you and who you are. And I sing God, not only to the people in the room and not only to my friends and family, but to the whole world on this day, what power and what joy you brought into my life. In your name we pray and let us say together in one voice, amen, amen. and amen.